Hello everyone and welcome to the pilot episode of the brand new podcast, Sporting Views. In this podcast, we talk pretty much everything sport. We'll talk about NBA, football, cricket, UFC, pretty much if it's a sport, we're going to be talking about it. The format of our podcast is it's going to start with a segment called Around the Grounds, where we talk about what's been happening in sport in the last week. In the middle section, we're going to be talking to someone about a main sport. So for this week, we're going to be talking to our rugby league star, Jared Peachy, on the preseason of the NRL. And then the final bit of our podcast is a little bit called Controversy Corner, where we're going to be talking about some statements that have been thrown around in social media, and we're going to give our views on what we think about them. So let's get straight into it. In the NBA this week, so the Lakers, they're sitting 17-2 and in a league-high start with LeBron James and Anthony Davis looking as if they've played together for years. It's almost as if they've got such a relationship where if one's performing brilliantly in that game, the other one's able to take a step back and so on and so forth. Dwight Howard for the Lakers has also been a revelation coming off the bench. He's only on about $3 million a year. He's still on a non-guaranteed contract. And he's averaging over 10 points a game, putting up solid boards. He's really the perfect player for the Lakers right now. Pretty much, he's not playing as if he was the star, which he did last time when he was the star at the Lakers. He's got a bit of pressure on him. He knows that he's going to be the sixth or seventh man, and he's a leader of the Los Angeles Lakers bench. And that's really helping him to settle into the role that he's now going to be doing in the NBA. He's no longer a star. He's no longer a starter. But he's someone that's able to give a team a boost off the bench and is able to put up solid points and boards every game. The Dallas Mavericks are off to a 12-6 and start off the back of teen sensation Luka Doncic. He's playing as if he is an MVP candidate. And don't take that with a grain of salt. He is currently an MVP candidate. We'll be talking about that a little bit later. Kristaps Porzingis, he was traded and signed by the Dallas Mavericks from the New York Knicks last year after an injury kept him out for the previous year. He's been playing relatively poor, putting up uh, poor uh, shooting percentages, then getting boards and getting assists, but he hasn't been playing like the all-star that he is. And whilst that's not a good thing currently for the Mavericks, considering that they're at a 12-6 start with him playing so poorly, it's only going to get better for them. Having Porzingis and Doncic, the two European boys, playing for that Dallas Mavericks team, both exceptionally young, both will be all-stars in the next couple of years. This team's looking the goods. It really is. Portland Trailblazers, last year's West Conference finalists, are currently sitting 7-12 and after a poor start from CJ McCullum. Damian Lillard was getting double-teamed, meaning that they had no attacking options. Carmelo Anthony has uh, been signed on a non-guaranteed deal by them on $3 million a year and has teamed up with them and been performing brilliantly. He's averaging over 15 points a game, getting boards, getting assists, pretty much exactly what they need him to do. He's slotted into the starting lineup, which not many people expected, but he's been performing brilliantly. Um, He's been quoted as saying that it's not a farewell tour and that he's going to choose when that happens, which is a good sign for him. It's showing the Portland Trailblazers that even though he's not going to be there in five years, he's putting in the work now. He's not seeing it as an easy pay check before he retires, which is the perfect thing for them. Heading on to the Clippers, 14-6 and six at the start of the year. Paul George and Kawhi have only played four games together, sitting 4-0 and oh in those games that they've played together. Looking the goods, they really are. Got two of the top five players in the league, 
what can you expect? You know that you're going to get wins, and with a, a Clippers lineup that's exceptionally deep, they're looking 100% like they'll be in the West Conference Finals with the Los Angeles Lakers. Probably don't buy into the 14-6 and six start. Clippers had a lot of games without Paul George. He only came back a couple of weeks ago. And Kawhi Leonard has been getting rested on the double games. So really, as long as they're sitting around third to fourth coming into the playoffs, they'll be fine. They're a team that's made for playoffs. They're a team that's made for championships. So I don't think that's an issue at all. Heading into the English Premier League, Liverpool are sitting first. Eight points clear at the top of the ladder. They're playing like a championship team. They're getting results that they arguably shouldn't. And the way that we're seeing that is that have scored numerous goals in the last 10 minutes to win games. That's something that they haven't been able to do in the past. And that's a thing that Manchester City was able to do last year, which got them the league title. City, on the other hand, whilst they're playing well, they've been unlucky. It's going to be tough to come back from the position that they're in. Nine points down on Liverpool, only 13 games in. With injuries, it's going to be tough for Pep Guardiola's men to come from behind yet again, as they did last season, and get Liverpool. Liverpool are playing so well currently. The only way, really, that they're going to be uh, losing the title is if they drop points. And I can't see Liverpool dropping many points for the rest of the year. They've looked exceptionally good against top six teams. They've been able to knock off the bottom 10 teams relatively easy, which is a thing that defines a championship team often. Teams that are sitting around 6th, 7th and 8th actually make it quite tough for themselves by losing and dropping simple points to lower teams. And that's something that Liverpool has not been doing and something that, unlike Manchester City have been in the past, Manchester City are doing. Leicester City are playing exceptionally well, sitting second after 13 games with just the two losses and the two draws with nine wins. They're a club for the future. They really are. It's crazy to look back. Five years ago, they were literally so close to being relegated, only winning on the last match day to secure their place. And then, as we all know, winning the title the year after in 2015-2016 season. But what they've done so well that I think they could have easily gone wrong for them is they've actually used the money that they've got from selling their stars to buy players that are going to bring them success in the future. Selling Riyad Mahrez, selling Harry Maguire, they're both players that they've sold for over 60 million euros and they've reinvested that money in good young talent. They've kept Jamie Vardy, which it would have been tempting, I know at the time, Arsenal were offering 40 million euros to uh, buy him, but he is a proven goal scorer and Leicester is stuck by him and he's currently leading the league with 12 goals with Tammy Abraham sitting in second with 10 goals. So Jamie Vardy has found his career best form again and it's looking as if whilst Leicester will not win the title this year, it's looking as if they could potentially be in a team along with Wolves that will sit around that top eight for the next five, 10 years. Onto the cricket, Australia versus Pakistan. Australia won the first match by an innings and five runs. Every Australian batsman, Bast Steve Smith, which is quite surprising, played beautifully. David Warner got 151, and uh, Manus Labashain got 185 in a dominant first innings performance, meaning that Australia did not have to bat again. Steve Smith only got the four off ten balls, before getting bowled by Yassir Shah, the seventh time Yassir Shah has um, gotten him out in test cricket. And boy, didn't he let him know that by raising the seven fingers in front of a Gabba crowd. All bowlers also bowled exceptionally well. 
Uh, probably the pick of the match for me was Josh Hazelwood, bowled in beautiful areas where Pat Cummins and Mitchell Stark also bowled terrifically. Nathan Lyon didn't really have a lot to do on a Gabba pitch that wasn't turning a lot with the main three strike bowlers getting the wickets that they needed. Currently, Australia is sitting at two for 434 with David Warner 252 not out and Manus Labashain out for 100. And 62, Shaheen Afridi, whilst his fielding has been below average, as we've seen him completely miss a ball going to the boundary, kick a ball into the boundary, he's been the best of the bowlers, getting two wickets for 67 runs, a beautiful outswing ball after an in-swing ball to Joe Burns to get him nicking off to the keeper, and a beautiful in-swinging ball to Manus Labuschagne to bowl him for his 162. On to the UFC. The notorious Conor McGregor will fight again after losing to Khabib last year. He's going to be fighting at UFC 246 against Donald Cowboy Cerrone. So that's going to be at January, on January 18th in Las Vegas. It'll be very interesting to see Conor McGregor come back. I think that his role in the UFC until he retires is probably not going for belts. He's going to be someone who's going to be fighting and getting a lot of publicity, I think the UFC titles have potentially passed him by. He has won numerous titles, so he's definitely succeeded in his career. But I think he's going to be someone that's going to be going around touring, fighting against people before they get their title shots, really getting the hype up around the UFC again with Israel Adesanya. So it will be really interesting to see what he does in the next couple of years. However, as I said, after his beating to uh, from Khabib last year, I don't see him as a title contender for in the next couple of years. Lastly, onto the A-League. Melbourne City and Sydney FC have been looking the good so far. After eight rounds, they are both sitting on top of the leaderboard with 16 and 15 points respectively. Perth Glory and Melbourne Victory have been disappointing this year with only three wins between the 14 games they have played. Now for two of the most successful clubs in Australian football and with Perth Glory only losing last year's grand final on a penalty shootout. That'd be really disappointing for them. We saw them play last night. Victory coming out 1-0 winners with Robbie Cruz scoring his first goal since 2011 in the A-League. One of the main reasons that Melbourne City have been looking the goods is their star striker, Jamie McLaren, transferring at the start of the year. He scored nine goals so far, leading goal scorer. And to be honest, he's looking absolutely lethal up top, scoring in and out of the box, scoring right foot headers, He's looking as if he could potentially carry Melbourne City onto a top two position almost single-handedly. But so far in the first eight rounds, there's looking about six or seven teams that are really, really looking the goods. I'll be very interested to see if Perth Glory or Melbourne Victory will be able to turn it around this year, considering their poor starts. But you've got to say that they potentially could. Western United coming in their first season, playing some really, really good football winning some important games. However, with the loss to the Mariners last week, it'll be interesting to see if they can turn it around this weekend. Now, after this short break, we'll be uh, heading over to Jared Peachy. We'll be having a chat with him about what's happening in the NRL, the pre-season, potential rule changes heading into the 2020 season. Welcome back, everybody. We've got Jared Peachy here, our resident rugby league star. How you going, Jared? Not bad, mate. How are you? 
Yeah, good, thanks. So, big news out of North Queensland um, with Valentine Holmes signing a six-year deal. What's your What's your thoughts on that? I think probably their best option, probably one of the you know, biggest successes they've had in a while, especially last year. Their, it was their back that let them down, I thought. It was their outside back, and that number one spot was just, just lacking a lot. Yeah, because they had, they're obviously having... Um, Jason Tamalolo and those sort of guys as their their big men up front. It was pretty noticeable that their their especially their outside backs were really struggling. Whereas in the past that's been a really strong position for them, and that's obviously why they were also hunting for Trell Mitchell, which we'll talk about later. How do you think the Cowboys are going to go next year with him being there? Obviously, he's only one person, but. We've seen what he's been able to do in the past with the Sharks, Queensland and Australia. How do you think they're gonna they're gonna bounce back after a relatively disappointing two thousand and nineteen season? Yeah, I think they'll they'll bounce back for sure. With like like you said, we've seen what Val can do. Val was the first person to break Peachy's record, David Peachy's record at the Sharks in over what how many years? He's we've proved time and again in Origin and for Australia. Even with making that move from wing to fullback, he proved himself. I don't think they'd make the eight. I think there's a little... It's not just the fullback problem as well. I thought some of their wing options and their centre options were a bit... They weren't up to scratch with some of the NRL teams. But lacked a lot of speed and just raw power, I thought. And I think Morgan is also a massive key for their, their success. He has the fire. So do you think he'll play at fullback or do you think they're going to try and slot him in at wing? Because he's on a, on a big money deal it's probably unlikely that you're going to be paying that much just for a winger. Oh, no, mate. He's getting that number one spot. Yeah. He's already, there's no way he's not. He'll play at one. He'll get what he wants. So, six-year deal as well. That's a quite a large deal relative to a lot of the the deals that we see currently. Do you see him as a player that in six years' time is going to be worth the money that he's on now? That's the, that's the game we take with these big, big, big season deals, you know. Like, but... Six years, I mean, it's not as, much, it's not as risky as that Tom Lolo deal they have going. Yeah. And I think Tom Lolo will be working out for 10 years, and I can see Val doing the same. I, I can back Val. Yeah, no. I think that's six years So, going off that from uh, someone that's conf- uh, his signing's been confirmed to someone that's constantly been in the news about where he's going to be playing. Uh, arguably next year and in 2021, Latrell Mitchell. Where do you think he's going to end up? I mean, I really want the Bulldogs to take him. <laughs> yeah. But his, the rumour is Gold Coast are looking at him, but I don't think he want, he can't move that far away from his family, I don't think, which is a big thing for him. Tigers have the money. They have that position open. They're lacking a really quality fullback. I mean, Thompson's given... Corey Thompson's given a red-hot crack, but he's not the, he's not the uh, you know, solution at that point. Yeah, I think Tigers... As you said, Tigers have got big money to spend. And um, Latrell is obviously super young, already a proven star on the highest level. The talk is that potentially the Roosters might next year, if he doesn't sign until 2021, that they'll play him in New South Wales Cup. Do you see any truth in that or not? Oh, I don't think, I don't think you'd put down your leading point scorer of the season and... Statistically, he still outdoes Joey Manu. I think a lot of people are forgetting that, but he's actually, like, Joey Manu's great. I think they got, you've got the two best centers, I dare say, in the game in one team. But 
I don't see them dropping their highest points just because he's asking for a little bit more money. It's a business nowadays. It's yeah, that, that's right. As people say these days, you've got such a, a short period to be playing professional sport. It's almost like oh, yeah. just make as much money as possible before you retire to set up your family, which I completely understand. Make as much money as you can, like, I think. I'm not going to say that there's still obviously players that value that and will stick by that, but, like, you look at the boys that James Graham, I never thought would leave the dogs, but it's a business. Like, he has to do... you got to do what's best for you as a player. You look at points per game, and I understand that his, his goal-kicking as well leads to those, but to be second behind Sebo in tries last year as a yeah, centre... Like in a team that, even though they score a lot of tries, their tries are getting shared out amongst a lot of players. They've got oh, yeah. quality outside backs the whole way around. I don't really... Oh, yeah, I, I personally don't see see the claim that the only reason he's scoring points is because he's on good teams because you can see how many times he's either making his own tries or making other people's tries just off the back of his sheer brilliance. And the honest truth is that currently a lot of, there's not a lot of top-quality centers like there's there's good centers but there's not the centers of the past no there's no you justin hodges your gi's like there's even like um gaznia and those sort of guys oh yeah you know 10 10 or so years ago there's not really that it it almost feels like good centers or people who make good centers within one or two years or even before they make their first grade debut get either moved to the wing or moved to fullback yeah like you got zach lomax is given the fullback role. Yeah, even, yeah like, it's almost sort of like yeah. they crave that constant, the ball in hand, which I completely understand. But you look these days, if you're someone like Joey Manu who's happy to sit at centre, you'll be regarded as one of the best in the game. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. There's not, very, there's not a lot of quality centres going around these days. Yeah. There's the quality wingers and quality fullbacks, and I guess generations ebb and flow where I'm sure 10 years ago there was a position that was potentially lacking as well. But, you know, if you actually look probably 10 years ago, there was only three or four quality quality fullbacks along with, with Billy Slater. So I guess it yeah. sort, of, sort of ebbs and flows. Lastly, we've seen the NRL reported by Denny Wilder. Then our NRL coaches have been told about plans to make sure teams who lose on Golden Point don't walk away empty-handed. So they're talking about potentially complete points restructure where I've heard that it could be three points for a win, one point for a loss. So it's still that two-point gap. And then two points for an extra time loss. What do you think about that? Yeah, I don't know if I agree with it. Look, first, I can see why. And with some of the criticisms, like your big names, like, like Bennett, Wayne Bennett's been calling out. In the end of the day, you've lost. Yeah. And do you get points for losing? Exactly. If you're like, when you're playing in the yeah. highest level, and the reality of of most sports is that partly to find a winner, and also partly for the spectators at home, there is that extra time to determine who's the winner and not just go out as a draw. It feels like yeah, you are almost rewarding a loser there. Like yeah, if you're like, the best team to be able to on the day win in that golden point, then you're the team that deserves the two points. Yeah, like, exactly. Look, you lose, you lose. You get, yeah, you go home, you work on it, you fix all the problems. Yeah, you exactly. Yeah, oh, yeah, we still got the one that's still going to help us. No, like, but it, it'll be, it'll be interesting. I don't see it coming yeah. in next year, 100%. I don't see it 
at coming in then, potentially 2021 or after, but you'd think it'd probably have to be experimented in New South Wales Cup or a feeder feeder competition like that before it goes into the yeah. NRL because it is a really Most drastic... Likely, so, yeah, you can't just implement a big change like that, especially with the scoring system being three, if that's what the rumour says, and if that's true, that's a big change, I guess. Like, uh, it spice things up a bit too much. Um, over the next few weeks, we'll be uh, calling in, seeing, especially in the off-season, we'll be talking a lot about transfers and possible transfers. We'll be keeping up to date with the Latrell-Mitchell situation. And, yeah, we'll be we'll be keeping in touch. All right. Thank you very much, Jared. Uh, we'll talk soon, mate. Thanks for having me. Welcome back, everyone, and welcome to the very first edition of Controversy Corner. This is where we talk about some of the most controversial topics currently going on in sport, all over social media they've been plastered, and we're going to give our opinions on whether we think that there is a valid point there or whether it's complete garbage. So, first one today, is Luka Doncic a legitimate MVP threat? Luka Doncic in his sophomore year in the NBA, after winning Rookie of the Year last year, getting 65% of the votes. So far, in the first fifth of the season, he's averaging 30.1 points per game, Rebounds a game at 10 and assists per game at 9.5. He's only the third person ever to average a 30-point career triple-double in a month this November after a successful game against the Suns earlier today. Now, if we compare that with Giannis Undercupo, who was last year's MVP, he's averaging 31 points per game, 13.7 boards and 6.2 assists. James Harden, perennial MVP candidate, 37.7 points per game, 16.1 boards, and 7.8 assists. And the King, LeBron James, a comeback year after a relatively disappointing year for him last year, 25.8 points per game, 7.3 boards, and 11 assists. So as we can see there, Luka Doncic is not just performing well in terms of the rest of the league. He's clearly performing up there with the best of the best. Giannis is a once-in-a-generation talent. LeBron James is clearly a once-in-a-generation talent. He's clearly performing at a level that is equal to, if not better than them, for the first part of the season. My tip so far is that it's LeBron James sitting at fourth in the MVP race, James Harden at three, and Giannis and Doncic tied at first. The thing that's potentially in the past um, held players back when they have such good starts to the season is how their teams perform. Whether fair or not, the MVP is often also judged on how their team has performed throughout the season. With the Dallas Mavericks sitting at 12-6 and six and looking to only improve, with Chris Stapps Porzingis hopefully fulfilling his potential for the year, that's no longer an excuse. Luka Doncic is a generational talent. Him and Giannis will dominate the league for the next 5, 10, 15 years. They're both looking absolutely brilliant. I think it's amazing that we've, considering the bust that the European players have been potentially in the past, apart from such players as Dirk Nowitzki, it's awesome to see that two of the best players in the league are European talents, and it's only going to get better. It's so good that the NBA now has such successful overseas players. You've seen Ben Simmons from Australia performing brilliantly in the NBA as well. It's going to be awesome to see the next generation of talent be a mixture of overseas and American talent, unlike has been in the past. On to the next one. Is Jose Mourinho a good signing for Tottenham? 
So Tottenham decided to sack their manager, Mauricio Pochettino, after a relatively disappointing start to the 2019-20 English Premier League season for Tottenham Hotspur. They were sitting in 14th after 13 games, which for a team that's been relentlessly pushing for top four and even championship titles, it really was a disappointing start to the season for them. However, we need to look at it and put it in perspective. Mauricio Pochettino has for years been given next to no budget in improving his squad. After last year, getting to a Champions League final where they unluckily lost 2-0 to Liverpool after a contentious penalty put them down 1-0 early and a late goal finished them off. I can't really see why Mauricio Pochettino was sacked. He is a once in a generation manager. He's the next up-and-coming manager. Now that Tottenham have sacked him, I will not be surprised if he pops up at Bayern Munich, who have just sacked Niko Kovic. I won't be surprised if he appears in La Liga. I won't be surprised if he appears in Serie A. He is a brilliant manager and one that Tottenham Hotspur potentially do not deserve. He has brought them from a mid-table club to a top four club with next to no budget. He has rejuvenated a stale club. He has made Harry Kane a star. He has made Christian Eriksen a star. He's made Human Son a star. He's made so many of these players stars. He is the reason that Tottenham Hotspur have been so successful over the last three to four years. And considering this is the first time he's underperformed and it's an only a small period of time that he's underperformed in, it seems quite rich that the club have decided to turn their back on him. However, that is not the question. Is Jose Mourinho a good signing for Tottenham? For me, no. I don't think he is. Tottenham Hotspur are used to playing expansive, free-flowing football. That's what Tottenham Hotspur is. They've just built a new stadium. They've just inherited a beautiful squad. The thing that's confusing for me is that Jose Mourinho is a manager that they know in the past, potentially gets a title in the first couple of years, but will leave a club in disgrace after three years. We've seen that with Chelsea twice. We've seen that with Manchester United. We know that that is how he manages. And considering the fact that most of Jose Mourinho, the way that he manages, he needs to be given money to be able to go and get players that play his style of football. Considering the fact that Tottenham have not given Pochettino money for years, they've just built a new stadium, I'm really interested to see if they have guaranteed Mourinho money because that's the only way for me that he comes. He's not going to be successful at Tottenham Hotspur. They needed a young manager such as Mauricio Pochettino to be locked down. That's the type of football that they play. I fear that with Jose Mourinho playing, um, managing Tottenham Hotspur, I really fear that in the next three to five years, they're going to be sliding down the table and going back to that 7th, 8th, ninth finishing team every year. Now, on to the final one. The Australian men's test team is set to an extent for the next few years. Now, I 100% agree with this. Even though we're playing against Pakistan, who, whilst they are a promising and exciting squad, they have performed relatively poorly. You've got a young bowling lineup. The Australian cricket team in Brisbane showed me that they should all be there at least until the Indian Home Series next year and hopefully to the Home Ashes Series the year after. Joe Burns has pretty much locked himself down as opener for the next couple of years with that 97. Now, even though he only scored four in Adelaide, he is a batsman that constantly scores runs for Australia 
and gets dropped purely for the fact that for some reason they don't see him as an overseas touring batsman. They did that with Usman Khawaja in the past. They thought that he was not a batsman that could tour Asia, and he proved them wrong. I really think that Joe Burns is a, a brilliant batsman. I think if he's in the team for the next two years, when he leaves, that will be a perfect time to bring in Matt Renshaw, who for me is the future of Australian cricket, along with Marnus Labashain. They're both brilliant batsmen. Give Matt Renshaw some time in state cricket. He's still only young. He's still only 21 or 22 years old. Give him some time to be able to develop his game. He's a big, strong, tall, top-order batsman. Give him a bit of time to mature. Give him a bit of time to find his own game. Let Joe Burns be the opener that is able to hold that position for him. There's no use for me bringing in Cameron Bancroft. Cameron Bancroft has not performed at international level in the time that he has been given. That, I'm not talking about what happened in Cape, uh, two years ago. I'm not talking about I'm talking about his ability as a batsman. And for me, it's unfortunately not been there. He's been batting really poorly in shield cricket. He's been batting really poorly in test cricket. Marcus Harris, I personally don't like him as an opening batsman in test cricket. I think that his technique lets him down too often. I think that Joe Burns needs to be there for the next two years. The rest of the batting lineup is pretty much set. I think Travis Head is Australia's next captain, so I don't think that he goes. I think that his technique is beautiful. I think fitting him in at five and six currently with Matthew Wade is the perfect position for him to get exposure to test cricket, which is what he needs, and to work on his technique while also getting the experience that he needs to be able to captain Australia in the future. He was unlucky to get out early in the uh, last game against Pakistan at the Gabba, I thought he batted really well for the situation. Australia needed quick runs. They didn't need someone to grind out an innings. He went for quick runs. He got out going for quick runs. So I don't have an issue with that. I don't think you buy into that. Australia's bowling lineup, Cummins, Hazelwood and Lyon are pretty much set for the next three, four years. I think they're brilliant. Nathan Lyon, Shane Warne's even come out and said that Nathan Lyon potentially could beat his record for most Australian Test wickets. Josh Hazelwood's back to his best, the McGrath-like bowling that he does, and Pat Cummins is Australia's X-Factor. He is a brilliant bowler. He has the potential to be a bowling all-rounder. He is a sure thing in every Australian Test team. Now, Mitchell Stark bowled brilliantly at the Gabba. I personally like him more than James Pattinson. I think Pattinson's a really good bowler. I just don't think that he has the X-Factor that Mitchell Stark does or the consistency of Josh Hazelwood. I don't think... He quite has a position in the team. For me, the only person that can currently compete with Mitchell Stark for an Australian spot is a bit of a left field one in Michael Nisa, the Queensland all-rounder. He has gotten numerous wickets for Queensland in the Sheffield Shield and Marsh Cup. He bats brilliantly. So for me, he's the only real threat to Mitchell Stark's spot as I don't see James Pattinson as a super brilliant alternative. So for me, Mitchell Stark, after his seven wickets at the Gabba, has pretty much set himself a spot, at least for the summer, and if he continues to perform, the foreseeable future. So that's all we have time for today on Sporting Views. Thank you very much for listening. Next week, we are going to be joined by Sydney Swan up-and-comer Riley Stoddart. We're going to be having a chat with him, talking all things pre-season and last season of the Sydney Swans and looking at what he hopes to be a brilliant 2020 season for him. So that's it from me, and as always, enjoy your week of sport.